Hi, and welcome to the Believe in the Land Show. My name is Andy Billman. Let's take a look back at the week that was in Cleveland sports. A lot of playoff excitement. It is NBA playoffs again. First time since 18. The excitement, the evenness of the matchup between the Knicks was felt. It was the most talked about series in the first round. The other teams, like the Sixers, the Bucks, and the Celtics are getting more love, and, and deservedly so. Those are the teams that really, at the end of the day, are the favorites to win the whole thing in the East. They're favorites to come out of there. But the most talked about series so far, by far, is the Cavs and Knicks. Most talked about series. A lot of that has to do with the Cleveland and New York hype. Both are uh, rabid fan bases. We all know where Cavs fans were rabid. And, you know, we're hungry and excited to get back in this thing. And also new storyline, obviously, since the first time since the late 90s. It's no LeBron. So the Cavs are in there without LeBron. We're going to touch upon that at the end of the show today. But there's a lot of excitement, anticipation. The Mitchell edition has really brought a new flavor to the city of Cleveland in basketball. He is by far the face and the best player in the team. There are other good players, as we know, like Garland and Mobley and Allen. But really, even though there's a four horsemen, I'd like to say, the true stud is Mitchell. And he was on full display last night against the Knicks. It was not enough. The Knicks really came after the Cavs hard, as they always do. Brunson got an early foul trouble, which was an early story in this game. Garland actually went off in the first half. I thought Garland did a really nice job controlling the game at first, um, made some shots. Tempo was really never a factor. It was a big factor early on in, the, in these two games. The Knicks and the last game played in Cleveland really took the pace high, did not favor the Cavs. Cavs have to play these games in the high 90s to low 100s, mid 100s at the most. And that's what this game was. And the Cavs still couldn't pull it off. Still didn't quite have enough. Game was really controlled by the Knicks. It seemed like the whole time the Knicks were ahead by four or five points. There were moments where the Cavs could creep in and got some things. Mitchell did have a wonderful game. The defense was pretty good. Randall had a strong first half. Brunson had a strong second half. Neither player went off. Really, no one for the Knicks really went off as you were as you might have thought in this game if the Cavs were to lose. But a developing storyline, which one that's going to be talked about throughout, is the lack of rebounding and how the Knicks got third and fourth chances sometimes on certain occasions. Think about that. They got second chances quite a bit, sometimes third or fourth opportunities. I mean, that just can't happen in a basketball game. And that's why the Cavs lost. The Mitchell-Brunson matchup was won by Mitchell. I thought Mitchell outplayed Brunson. I thought he was better than Brunson last night. Brunson was good, but I thought Mitchell was very good. And the Cavs still lost. Cavs defense showed up. Tempo was there. That's how poorly the rebounding was in this game. It was a huge deficit. It was near even at halftime. But in the second half, the Knicks, whether it was Hart Robinson or Randall were always getting second or third opportunities in this game. And that is point number one. The rebounding loose balls have to be slowed down by the Cavs to win. The Knicks did whatever they wanted to with loose balls or rebounding in this game. It was a huge, huge factor in this game. 
and the Cavs really had a hard time with boxing out, muscling up on multiple occasions. Mobley got pushed out of the way. But, you know, there's no such thing, as I say in sports, usually about a scapegoat. You can have it. It's rare, though. I, it's always a team effort. There's always something it comes down to. Usually when it comes to points and emphasis in a game, there's usually not one reason. I dare say in this game, the second and third opportunities the Knicks got were the difference in this game. It was that striking. It was that porous. It was that just it was just that much outmatched in this game. If the Cavs could have just gotten a few rebounds, just a few one and outs in the fourth quarter, they would have won this game. That's how bad it was. Cavs could not get they just could not muscle the, the Knicks away from the hoop. Very discouraging. Because this is something that is technique. Something that you just can't change, really, when it comes to size. You can't just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, lift a bunch of weights and become strong. This is something that's going to have to be talked about in the offseason. But the Cavs have to develop some mental toughness and have to really think inside, how much do I want this rebound? How much do I want this loose ball? I want to give it back to the offense. Because at times, it just seemed like the Knicks wanted more. And that Hurts as a Cleveland fan. Hurts. The New York Knicks outmuscled and hustled the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland doesn't accept that, and it's hard to hear. We'll get into other things in this game that implicated it. We'll get to other things in this game that, yes, did not was the reasons why they did not tell the Cavs why. Is this fixable in the series? It is. Is that a big difference in the series? It actually, I would say it's twofold. Meaning, if they can just get it down to five offensive rebounds being outdone, they'll win this game probably by eight or nine points. They just could not handle the board pressure that the Knicks put. It's, and it was like a steamroll. You could feel at the end of the game the Cavs were not going to be able to get second or third chance opportunities denied. They were just going to get out-rebounded and out-hustled. Mobley, especially, I thought had a very difficult time. Allen did as well. Allen did not put up the enough force in there, but it really came through to me on Mobley. Mobley, on multiple occasions, just got shooed away like a fly. Pushed away. Can't happen. Can't happen, and it's hard to accept. JB's going to have to make adjustments. Maybe you go with Lamar Stevens down the stretch. You might. Lamar Stevens is a decent rebounder. He's better than what you had on the floor. Osmond can't rebound. He's a terrible rebounder. And there's no reason why Dean Wade or Rubio should be on the floor anymore, and we'll get to that in a second. Garland, not his strength. Mitchell, he gets a few. But Allen and Mobley have to get in there. I would get even as crazy to say from what I saw last night, you dare my put in Lopez or Stevens on defensive situations late in the game just to get box outs. You're actually there. You might need to see Lopez. Never thought I would say that after game one. You might need to just to get a body on a body. 
the Knicks were flying around the glass. It was just embarrassing this game. Just embarrassing. Again, it was that big of a difference. It changed and cost the Cavs the game. The Cavs were down big at one point in the fourth quarter, almost to the point where he felt like it was a sleeper hold. Mitchell alone came back, got the game tied, and even the Cavs took the lead briefly. And then from that moment on, Cavs got stops. Cavs couldn't squeeze the orange. Couldn't get a rebound. There's not a lot to analyze in this game. Cavs get some rebounds. Cavs box out. Cavs probably win this game by two or three. It's that close. It was that apparent in this game when you watched it. Cavs had no answers for the Knicks when it came to rebounding. Have to do more in that effort. It is a big point of contention in this game. We'll get to some other points now, but I don't want to I want to hit this one more time. Rebounding loose balls cost the Cavs the game. Cost them the game. The bench situation is not good for the Cavs. I mentioned both names. Um Rubio, who we loved from last year, is not the same player right now. And Dean Wade, who I just was scratching my head at the end of the year of how he got minutes, and I guess this was some kind of plan. They put him in there quite a bit in this game in the second quarter, and I don't understand why. I doubt you'll see Dean Wade or Rubio throughout the series. They played both very poorly in this game. I thought they were embarrassingly bad. I thought Dean Wade especially was embarrassingly bad. He was minus 14 in point differential, and it, and it felt it. He didn't even need to look at the box score to, to see what was going on in this game. It was that poor of an effort from Dean Wade. And Rubio. Rubio looked really shook. And he's a veteran. Very surprising from Rubio. Not so from Dean, but surprising from surprising from, from uh, Rubio. Rubio, I expect more. Just didn't, just didn't have it. Just could not, could not make plays at all. Uh, both look very tight in this game. And then there's Levert. These bench players, there, there's something's going to have to be done. Levert, who played really well at the end of the season, looked nervous and tight, missed a lot of shots he usually made, and really looked uncomfortable on the floor. Levert's going to keep playing, and you need to have Levert play. He's going to have to come in at some point and make some plays. He has to play better than this. Bench is number two. And I think you need to see some Stevens. I was okay with Osman, but you need to switch out Osman for offense and defense. Osman for O for offense. You've got to get him in there in offensive situations. I understand that. You cannot have him out there as a defensive liability. He is just not good enough to play defensively. And there are many situations that he was matched up on the wrong guy, and we're going to get to that here in a second. Lamar Stevens, I'd give that a go with Osman. Six to eight minute stretches. And I would really think hard about playing Danny Green. I don't understand the reason why Danny Green's not playing this point. If we made a trade for this dude, let's see him play. He's a champion. He can shoot threes. He certainly can't play any worse than the guys who were on the floor yesterday. Bench must improve. And number three is JB Bakerstaff's adjustments. He really had a hard time making adjustments in this game. The players almost carry him to the finish line. JB's got to do a better job coaching in these games. He got out coached. He really looked out of sorts at times in this game. He has got to make adjustments to make these players feel more comfortable. He has got to get this team more loose. This two team was too wound up yesterday. 
You got to make plays to get Levert in the game. You need Levert in the series. You cannot not have Levert play. You got to have him play in the series. It's huge. It's such a big component in this team. To think like you just can't live without him is crazy. That's on Biggerstaff. Biggerstaff's got to get better stuff from the bench. Biggerstaff's got to teach his team how important rebounding is. It can't be going to press conferences. Well, we learned a lesson today. That is not what should be said here. Bickerstaff can't allow that to happen. It's inexcusable to walk into a postgame going, well, I think we learned some things. Well, this is not a learning experience, JB. We are in the playoffs. Time to win the game. JB Bickerstaff's got to do a better job in game adjustments. Got to put emphasis on quickly. Got to get ahead of things more quickly in these games. You can't allow things to play out. I thought on multiple occasions he let things play out instead of making adjustments. That just doesn't mean calling timeout. And that's another point with JB. He has got to keep some timeouts in his back pocket. He spent them all. He only had one timeout for most of the fourth quarter. You cannot have that happen in the NBA playoffs. You need timeouts. Cavs needed timeouts late in the game. Didn't have them. Must make better adjustments. JB's got to do a better job. He's 0 for 1. That was a bad coaching job in the first game. Wasn't terrible. Wasn't horrific. Didn't cost the Cavs a game. But it, was, it wasn't good. And then the fourth one, and again, this is the ray of hope. Mitchell, I thought, outplayed Brunson, and they still lost. Heartbreaking to say that. But Mitchell came out. He, I thought, even though he had moments where he struggled, he thought and came out played really, really well in this game. And then the fifth point, making easy shots. Mobley missing a lot of easy shots. Lavert, Garland missing mid-range jumpers. Got to see more of these makes. Can't be missing all these shots. It was across the board at times from the Cavs, missing way too many shots. Too many shots that are very, very makeable. Again, the Cavs make a handful of shots. We're talking about how the Cavs win. That's how close. This game, to a lot of people, sometimes come off as a blowout. This game wasn't a blowout. This game wasn't uncompetitive. It was that close where the Cavs almost won. If they didn't box out, didn't rebound well, JB had a really hard time making adjustments. The bench got nothing from Dean Wayne and Rubio, and they played significant minutes. Levert also is in that crowd. None of those guys gave him any significant minutes. You missed a lot of easy jumpers, a lot of easy layups. Mobley missed mo multiple. And still Mitchell played, outplayed Brunson, you lost. That's your game. I thought Allen played okay. I thought Garland played okay. I thought Mobley was excellent defensively. He struggled everywhere else and struggled as being kind. He played very poor offensively. He played poor on everything else in this game. He struggled a lot. Defensively, he was ready to go. Defensively, he did the job. But on offense, you can't be missing shots like that. You have to do a better job rebounding. You are a big. It doesn't even matter. Get in front of the guy. Make some, make some rebounds. Get to loose balls. Mobley's got to do better in those situations. It's really that flat out. It's just they're just flat out. There's just sometimes there's not an easy way to put it. In this situation, he's got to do better than he did. If you are a Cavs, you know, if you're a Cavs denier, meaning you think the series is over, you're wrong. This is a these are fixable things. 
I don't think the Knicks and Cavs are that far different. But the Knicks domination of the board, if you just erase that, even if you get nothing from the bench still, even if you get no adjustments from JB, even if you're still struggling on certain aspects on the club when it comes to making three-pointers, which we didn't even get into in this game, you're still not going to play Danny Green. I still think the Cavs can win. That's how bad of a difference number one was. Don't lose sight of it. Cavs played really tight in this game. Cavs looked really tight in this game. Cavs have a lot to learn from in this game. But that is not what the coach should be saying. Coach needs to make better adjustments to make his team more successful on the floor. Didn't happen in game one. Frustrating loss knowing that Mitchell played Brunson. This series is still very winnable. Long ways to go in a series. Seen this way too long in the NBA. Don't give up hope. Don't feel like it's down and out. Tough loss. You're going to have to win on the road. You might have to win in New York twice. Is it catastrophic, catastrophic at the Cavs lose game two? No, it's not over, but it's going to be pretty bleak. Need to win game one? Yeah, you do. You need to win game You need to, I'm sorry, you need to win game two. You need to win game two. Really, really do. We'll see how the rest of the series plays out. Mitchell, again, was a, he was such a star in this game. And they threw away a great defensive performance. They really played well defensively. But if you're not going to rebound the ball, then what's the point anymore? The Knicks are that well coached about rebounding. Time to see some Danny Green. Time for J.B. Bickerstaff to make better adjustments in-game. And it's time for the Cavs to have some players jump up and help Mitchell. Garland needs to make a few more shots. Mobley is missing way too many layups. And his team needs to play looser than what they are. Some real disappointments in game one. But it was very close from the Cavs winning. It really was. It feels like the Cavs lost by 14. They didn't. The Cavs had a two to three point game for most of the last two minutes. They just couldn't rebound. Get the loose ball. Frustrating. Cavs are back in the playoffs. This is exciting. The Knicks and Cavs are very even. But it will not be even for long if the Cavs don't start rebounding, getting loose balls. Cavs down 0-1, back up on Tuesday. We come back from break, Guardians time. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. You can check me out after every Cavalier in the playoffs. Guardians right now in April and the Browns in the fall at official Cleveland Sports handle on Instagram. That's at official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. We This is Believe in the Land, changing the names. Come on board. It's exciting stuff. Check me out on Instagram at official Cleveland Sports after every Guardians, Cavaliers, and Browns game. That's at official Cleveland Sports. Check out my new media venture. It's called Believe in the Land. There'll be more information coming out on it. It's called Believe in the Land. You can check it out right now on YouTube. Bunch of podcasts, bunch of thoughts, bunch of reviews. Who needs sports? You Come on. Come on in and Believe in the Land. You'll, you'll get all you need more. Check it out, Believe in the Land. 
on YouTube. All right, so the Guardians this week went three and three. They played the Yankees, Barf, went one and two at home, played the Nationals. Nationals are a terrible young team, but they're very young, feisty one a young team. They almost got the sweep. They won two out of three, not the cleanest of weeks, seen some good things. I thought saw some concerning things, saw some things that really struggled, but I think they'll be okay. But here we are in April. As we all know, Francona's teams really don't usually perform very well in April. So to say this is anything different at this point is not being fair. This is kind of par for the course with this club. But, you know, they're in first, you're in second place, only a game behind the Twins at 9 7. And I'll sign up for that, seeing how the Guardians have played. They, they came out of the box on the West Coast wing, I thought, playing good. Came home, played okay, and Nationals are playing okay. But they won the series. That's all that matters. And they're staying ahead of where they need to go. I mean, they're not falling too far behind. And they're, I mean, again, they're right there. They're only a game behind the Twins. That's nothing. That's nothing in the long scheme of things. Nothing at all. Overall theme. The pitching, starting, and relieving. We're starting to find out some things. The injuries are mounting for the starters. That's impacting the relievers, leaving our pitching staff across the board average. That's my point number one. The Savali injury this week was a big injury. He's out again with an oblique. An oblique injury is like the high ankle sprain in football. It's usually about a four- to six-week injury, not quick. Savali had looked good early, so for him to go down, Already with Tristan McKenzie going down. Now he's out longer. I shouldn't say longer, but he's going to be out extended. He's not going to be back until June now. It's a ways away. Doesn't look like Tristan McKenzie's anywhere to being close. They put him on a 60-day. Oh, yeah, that's a big deal. So here we are early on in the, in the season for the Guardians, and we're already having two of our mainstay pitchers hurt. That, I think, has put strain on the bullpen. We are not getting lengthy starts. Bieber's probably been the only one so far has been pretty consistent. Plesak is Plesak. One game up, next game down. He struggled in Washington. They got the win still. He was great at home earlier in the week against Seattle. Maybe he's up and down, he's up and down, he's up and down. Hunter Gaddis is a rookie. He got absolutely the doors blown off him this week. Cal Quantrill was better in Washington, but he has been great. And then we got the young man, Battenfield, Peyton Battenfield. And again, he, I mean, first start ever, Major League's going four and two-thirds. The the starting pitching injuries, and because the starting pitching's not given length, it's weakened our bullpen, which I think can be strength. So for those of you right now who want to pound the bullpen, that's fair in certain aspects. But I will tell you the bullpen's being exposed, and that's not what a good bullpen can have happen. The guard, and you, you want to hide your relievers. And what I mean by that is you want to use them strategically, not out of necessity. The Guardians right now are using their bullpen out of necessity. That's not really how their bullpen is built because of these injuries. If you had Hunter Gaddis back there as a long man, okay, sure, I can get it. But they don't have that right now. These guys are pitching a lot, and I think it's exposing them. I'm worried about this long-term if this continues. Guardians need to see McKenzie not coming anytime soon. 
Guardians need to see Zavali. Not coming anytime soon. So, okay, let's go back to the original point. This pitching right now is really being stretched. It's average. Average. The Guardians need to think about, do you make a trade for a starting pitcher? Sam Henches is another pitcher who's out. You have all the starting pitching. Like I said, Savali and McKenzie are not. You're, you know, in the rotation, guys, these are your two and three. And they're out. Significant time out. Guardians have really been pressed out of the box with injuries to their pitching. I want to throw in Sam Henches, but you shouldn't forget him. That's a big injury. Tim Heron's got good young stuff. He is not ready at times to be thrown in as much as he has been early. He's been thrown in there a lot. I would like to see him in there to get an occasional out or two and come out of the game. Be a matchup lefty. He can't do that right now. He's got to go out there and get outs. Multiple outs. It's been a struggle. The pitching thing has been a real struggle. It's been average, and it really you can feel in the uh, feel in the record. For how much I know the Guardians start off slow, and they do, and they have started off slow here, okay, that's all fair. But I'll tell you the other point. Guardians have got to start getting healthy pitching. Got to start getting better length from their starters. They barely go six. Need more from Quantrill. Need more from Bieber. Any more from Puzak. Gaddis and Battenfield, I think it is what it is. But this pitching staff, in particular the bullpen, is going to have a very hard time come August, September, if they keep being used by this. They're getting exposed. And it's worrisome. Not worried about Classe. I think Karen Check's figuring it out in the bullpen. Sandlin, I'm worried. Worried about Sandlin. Don't know. I don't know. That's long term for him. Would love. Would love to see more, a lot more, from some of these guys in the bullpen. And they just don't seem. I mean, Heron has had some moments. I like his young stuff. He's a young player, so he gives up some bombs once in a while. Eli Morgan's been okay to good. Curry's had some moments, but again, he's not lights out. Really, the only two guys who have full confidence in are Class A and Karinchek. Stefan's been very strange to start the year. He's had some moments where he's looked good and his numbers look good, but he's not quite, not quite, he's just not quite as a lockdown. Class A type of, you feel very good. You feel okay with him. Today against the Nationals, he had a chance to really lock down a win, and Stefan just couldn't do it. Stefan's been that way all year. He just sometimes he gets really erratic, and next thing you know, there's runners all over the base path, and he's giving up runs. Not good enough right now. Not just flat out not good enough. Stefan's got to do a better job. Bieber will be Bieber. He's had some good moments already. Struggled today. Struggled against the Yankees in one inning, but then shut down baseball. I think he's figuring things out. I think Quantrill will get there, too. I think he'll figure things out. And Plesak is an absolute wild good chase. It seems like he's all or nothing, so his next start will pitch really well. He's got to be more consistent. I mean, they're lucky they were playing the Nationals the other day because they got out of it with a win. But against other teams, I think they Plesak would have had another blow-up implosion. 
And like I said, I like Hunter Gaddis, but he's really young. And Peyton Battenfield's just a baby. Just getting out there and starting to pitch. But he looked the part. But again, he's such a young player. I know there's been a lot of people speculating. Should they bring up this guy, Taylor Beebe? I guess. Don't think that's the answer, though. Guardians have to really think hard. They have all this young talent to trade. I think they might need to start to make a trade for a starting pitcher. You cannot go much longer with these injuries. They are really getting pressed right now. And it's not good. And it's very early to be feeling the heat of injuries. But the Guardians are really feeling the heat of the injuries. They cannot go this long much longer. They're going to really need to think about making a trade for a starting pitcher. That's tip number one. And it's, again, it has really, really affected the Guardians as a whole. These injuries have been very, very, very hard. And they and they just have and it's really hit hard on this team. Point number two. J Ram's off and running. Good to see he got a home run. But overall, and Josh Bell's gotten going this week. That's good to see. So you're starting to see some power. Guardians need to figure out how to get some more power. Saw it in in Washington finally. Josh Bell came to life. I thought J Ram, who had a majestic home run, came to life. Need some more power behind the bats. Naylor right now is in an early slump. Um, his batting average is below five, is below uh, 200 now. But again, more importantly, he's just not getting very much. He's not getting very much from from power at all. Guardians are having a hard time putting balls in the seats. You don't need to do it every time. You don't need to be the Yankees, but the Guardians have to get some more power from this lineup. Have to. They're not getting enough power. It might cost him down the road. Again, good to see J-Ram get warmed up. Good to see Josh Bell get warmed up. We really needed Josh Bell. God, he got off to a slow start, but he really got hot in, in, in the National Series, and he had a lot of doubles, too, which was good to see. They need more power, though. Need more power from a whole slew of guys. Naylor, in particular, right now, needs more power. Point number three, the Brennan experience has been incredible. He's off to a very hard, hot start. Will Brennan looks apart. He's actually pushing away opportunities from SpongeBob Oscar Gonzalez from playing right now, which is amazing for how well Oscar played last year. But that's how good Brennan's been. And Brennan's a very, very good player. He looks apart. Going to be hard to see Brennan doing um, not playing right now. He's just doing such a good job with the guards. Very, very excited about Will Brennan. Also, I want to throw in there is Miles Straw. Miles Straw, who got really rummaged by fans. If you go on the Instagram show, at official Cleveland Sports, Believe in the Land, you see Miles Straw got hammered by fans. He is really, really playing well. He is having such a good start to the bat. Quan is being very clutch in situations too, which is good to see. Those players really, really stick out. Your mainstays are are uh, Ramirez and Jimenez. Both are solid. They're pros. But those other guys are really filling in the dots and doing a really nice job of it. Fourth is defensive glove issues. We've seen it on multiple occasions this week. Little league type errors on Friday night with J Ram and Rosario missing second base. J Ram dropping a fly ball in the infield. J Ram's had a rough time starting the year defensively. The past 
ball situation, what's going on with the catchers is ridiculous. They have got to tighten it up. It's not being harsh either. The glove situation for the Guardians right now is very porous. So Nino's actually doing a good job with the bat. He's batting really well, but he's got to do a better job containing the staff. The gloves and the errors for the Guardians so far is not good enough. They've got to do a better job on this team. Got to. They are not doing a good enough job on this team with how they're going to handle errors. Too many errors, too many pass balls. They've gotten the Guardians in a way are lucky to be nine and seven because the way they play defensively, they almost should be seven and nine. They've gotten away with it. The defense has to tighten up. Has to tighten up. Got to do more in that situation. And my fifth point with the Guardians so far is they have not hit anywhere close to their stride. This team has had good moments. This team has had good innings. This team has nowhere close put together the experiences and games they had in 2022 towards the end of the year in the playoffs that, they, that I saw. Which tells you the best is yet to come, and yet they're 9-7. Not worried about the Guardians long-term. Guardians are going to be able to snap out of these things. I think they'll find more power. Brennan and Straw are not going to be relied on to do a lot of things. That's really the guy sometimes been really carrying this lineup. Brennan and Straw have really put a lot of things on base. Quan's been really clutch. J-Ram's had some good at-bats, too, in big situations. You're going to see more from Naylor eventually. I do think you're going to see some more big hits from Jimenez, who really hasn't had that big moment yet outside of a, a bunt that was an error in early in the year against Seattle. You're going to see more of that as it comes along. But I think the Guardians' long term looks very good because they're not put together a complete game, except for point number one. They can't have any more injuries to starting pitching, and they have to tighten up this back half with the bullpen. I do think a big component, though, is how poorly the starting pitching is. They aren't stretching these starts into the seventh inning. It's usually five and two-thirds, five and a third, out, gone, bullpen in. Bullpen has been in there way too much early on. That's the only thing I see derailing this for the Guardians. That's it. Everything else I think is very, very manageable. They continue this road swing. They did what they had to do. They took out the garbage against the Nationals. They go on to play a terrible Detroit team. Very, very winnable game. Should do well in that series. There's no reason why they should not win two out of three or hopefully sweep. Detroit and Detroit. Then they come home and play the Miami Marlins. They're a young team. Very winnable. Then they play the Rockies. Rockies are terrible. Then they go on a tough road swing, starting at Boston, finishing up at New York. So keep taking out the garbage. They win all these series this week. Come home to a light home schedule, then on the road to play at Boston, at New York. Very good digestible situations for the Guardians. They haven't been pressed to play terrible, Meaning I haven't seen terrible play. They have not played great play. All these games are close. The Guardians are really those teams are hand-wringing, Alka-Seltzer, Tums-type games. You're literally there just <laughs> every pitch. But they grind it out. They're doing enough early to win these games. That's good to see. Keep taking out the garbage. They won two out of three. They should have swept the Nationals, but okay. Don't get too greedy. Take two out of three, at least in Detroit. Sweep maybe the Kitty Cats. That'd be good. Come home, eat some Marlin, and then, you know, Colorado Mountain High. 
at home. Then right back on the road at Boston and New York. Keep gobbling up these wins. Looking for that moment where the lineup really turns. Haven't quite seen that yet. Looking for the more of extended starts from the starters. Haven't seen that yet. So I guess in simple terms, the best is still yet to come. That's why I'm okay with the Guardians where they're at. Even though I'd like to see them sweep the Nationals and do better against the Yankees, everything is still set on course. But they can't have any more injuries to starting pitching. And they need to be very much thinking what happens if they lose one more starter. On to Motown. Then at home against Miami. At home against Colorado. Guardians are only one game back of the Twinkies. White Sox look like they're fading already early, and the Royals and Tigers are terrible. Take out the garbage, beat the Kitty Cats in Detroit, and do the same to the Marlins at home. Have a fish fry. We come back doing a little bit of news updates with your Cleveland Browns. Welcome back to the Believe in the Land show. My name is Andy Billman. You can check me out all the time at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. It's at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. We do immediate coverage. As soon as the final out is recorded, you hit Guardians coverage. As soon as the final horn sounds of basketball, you get Cavaliers. And as soon as the final gun goes off in football, Browns time instantaneously. As soon as the game ends, I'm there for all 162 for Guardians games, all 82 in playoffs for the Cavs, playoffs probably for the Guardians, and all 17 for the Browns. It's at official Cleveland sports. Check it out. Also, there's a new company I've started called believe in the land. Check it out on YouTube. More to come on through a website, believe in the land. Check it out on YouTube. All sorts of videos up there with our Browns. What should be a quiet time, especially looking. There is no NFL draft because excitement, because there's nothing until the third round. This should be a dormant time. There's been some good movement in the offseason. There's been some positivity building, not just in Cleveland with fans, but I think even nationally that possibly the Browns could make a move. It might be a force in the AFC. And maybe even possibly, dare we say it, make the playoffs and maybe make a little bit of a run. Maybe, maybe. There's excitement there. A lot of Browns fans are very positive about the moves that have been made. I've been more hesitant than others. I still need to see some development on the field. I need to see some things that need to be playing through for me to be a complete believer. Bobby wanted to admit these moves have made sense. It's hard not to get excited even with the coaching changes. These moves should shift the Browns better on paper. And then we get what happened this week. Perrion Winfrey, defensive tackle, arrested for assault on a woman. Not good. Bad stuff. And he's going to trial here soon. Now, he's not been convicted. He needs to go through the trial process, you know, innocent before proven guilty. But again, for a gentleman like Winfrey, who's had troubles off the field already, who you garner from reports and from hearing from people on the ground, he is not exactly well-liked on the team. People see him as a quote-unquote, I'll call it misfit. And yet he's getting into more trouble again, this time with the law. This is not a little thing. This is something the Browns need to really, really digest. For, you know, the main reason being, this is a bad look. 
if this really happened, he needs to go, in my opinion. I mean, how many times are we going to have guys with shaky characters like this on the Browns? I mean, again, you need to hear the whole story, yes, but I'm kind of tired of these stories. I mean, Mr. Winfrey didn't work out. He hasn't played that well. It wouldn't have mattered if he had been playing well. I'm kind of tired of these guys being looped in with the Browns. It seems to be a – and again, the Browns aren't the only team. There's several other teams. And actually, every team in the NFL deals with this. But I think for the Browns' sake, this is an important moment to decide, are you going to keep a guy with character problems on your team? And again, not just with the law, which is a very important thing. He's had issues with his teammates. He's had issues staying out of trouble with the coaches. He has not been well-liked so far inside the locker room. You can tell. This is not a rumor. Just the facts. And he's not a talented enough player to be getting away with that kind of stuff anyways if he hadn't been doing misdemeanor um, assault charges, which is what's happened here. And here's the biggest problem of them all. If you're just talking on paper, on the field, how can the Browns cut him? Because they don't really have a lot of defensive tackle options to fill in. That defensive tackle position is weak to begin with. And this is why I have a hard time getting excited about the Browns for next year. We're not even in two camps, and we're having issues already. It's just another thing for the Browns. Yes, Winfrey isn't a mainstay. Yes, he's not a pillar. But he's a guy who is expected to do better things. Maybe make an impact on this team. And frankly, now I think he might get cut. And if I were the Browns, I would cut him. It's too much. Young man needs to learn some lessons and figure stuff out. Not on our watch. It's mind-numbing as a Browns fan because every week we seem to go through these little situations where it should be calm and in offseason and Again, this didn't make huge news waves, and this wasn't, you know, other news stories we've seen in the past five or six years in this town with the Browns. It's nothing like that. But the Winfrey story is not a little story to me, and I think it it just sums up, again, how the Browns are always in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong players with character issues. Not across the board, not every player, not even majority players. And, again, in fairness to Mr. Winfrey, he needs to be brought into a court of law, innocent before proven guilty. All true. But with his past on the field, his problems in the locker room, if this is deemed to be true, the Browns need to cut him and move on. They need to find another replacement. Stringing Winfrey along is not the right look. It's not the right thing. And it's time for the Browns to make a stand. Hopefully, they will do the right thing here. And as for this defensive line, they need to figure out how to add a couple more pieces. They now need another defensive tackle, and they need another defensive end. Can't draft everybody. Got to figure out a way to get in some, I don't know, affordable replacements or backups to play these positions. Other than that, it's pretty quiet. But it just seems like it never, it seems hard for the Browns to escape some negative press and it happened again this week with Winfrey. Draft is a ways away. 
no pick again until the third round. And the Browns do start gathering together this weekend. Berea will bring some new stories of their they come to light. One more break, and then we're done. Welcome back to the final segment here of the Believe in the Land broadcast, podcast, everything you want and more, baby. My name is Andy Billman. You can check me out after every Cavaliers basketball game, playoffs included. As soon as the final whistle sounds, you can check me out at Official Cleveland Sports, the Believe in the Land instantaneous analysis done by me. You need instantaneous, so do I. As soon as the game's over, you want to chat, you want to talk about it. I do that after every Guardians, Browns, and Cavaliers game. That's at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram. Check it out. We have officially ended the LeBron era. Kind of been declared earlier this year by me, but this cements it with them making the playoffs. I know the Cavaliers lost game one. I know there's a lot that needs to be played out that's going to bring some disappointment or some highs maybe if they beat the Knicks, which I still think they will. But no matter what, you have to realize as a Cavs fan, at least I have, the growth of this organization and this growth of this team to be in the playoffs, to be a force in the playoffs, not just like a throwaway seventh seed that made the play-in games. No, this is a fourth seed, home court advantage, playing big-time, prime-time games in ABC Sports. And for the first time in 20-plus years, there's no LeBron surrounding situation. Other Cavs fans have been celebrating this. I don't do that. I love the 2016 Cavs. I love that LeBron played for Cleveland, the city he was, you know, he wasn't raised in Cleveland, but he was raised in Northeast Ohio. He was one of our own. And the championship he won, I will never forget, nor should we as fans. It was fantastic. It lifted the city, certainly lifted my career. It was just a wonderful, wonderful moment for all of us Cleveland fans. So when he left again to go play in L.A., which was obviously a lot less harsh and brutal than it was the first time when he went to Miami. You know, a lot of people still harbor feelings, whatever else. I will say I'm not that guy. The Cavs made the playoffs last time in 2018. They had LeBron James on his team. They should not be penalized for that. It's not a penalty. But it shows in this organization right now that they're playing on primetime games at 6 o'clock, again, not buried late at night or early in the day on Sunday. They're playing in big primetime games on Saturday because fans and NBA uh, people alike want to see the Knicks and Cavs series. And it's not just because of the Knicks. The Cavs play a big part of this. It's great for the Cavs. It's great for the city of Cleveland. This team has taken a large leap in a very short period of time. A lot of people should be credited for it. Donovan Mitchell should be credited for it. Colby Altman should be credited for it. Garland, Allen, Mobley, all of them. Yes, J.B. Bickerstaff has actually made some things that helped. Levert, everyone. But this is a celebration of organization. It is such a big moment. Kevin Love's no longer on the team. The 2016 era has ended. It took until 2023, not too long. But the Cavs have graduated not just into, you know, we've seen this in sports all the time. Sometimes teams and organizations never get back to that level. The Bulls, outside of a couple years from Derrick Rose, have really never sniffed that level again. 
other organizations have felt the same. The Royals currently right now in baseball is another example. But for the Cavs to have to rebuild and recharge and for this team to be on this kind of stage in this short period of time says a lot about the organization and it's a credit, credit to the Cavaliers. They are a wonderful organization. We want the Cavs to win. We want the Cavs to beat the Knicks. All true, all fair. But don't ever forget how important it is that the Cavs are back in this position and how hard it is in sports. Not easy. Big kudos to this organization. Big kudos to Dan Gilbert. Big kudos to everybody involved. The Cavaliers are back when a lot of organizations will not be. It's great to be in these games. Doesn't always end the right way than in game one, but to get in this position is the position we want to be in. It's very boring being the Pacers right now, the Utah Jazz right now, and many other organizations. It's a lot more fun being the Cavs playing the Knicks. With that said, big game two on Tuesday at home against the Knicks. Again, not catastrophic if you lose. Rebounding and hustling, big points in game one. They've got to do a better job there. Got to make more shots with Mobley and other players outside of Mitchell. Cavaliers had the right tempo. Defensive was there. They got to tighten up those things. And when we when will we see Danny Green? Hopefully in game two. Guards have been up and down. They finished 500 this week, 3-3. Three and three. Almost swept the Nationals. Almost swept two out of three of the Yankees, but they're not quite hitting on all cylinders yet. So because of that, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're only one game behind. What's going on with... The Twins. And then finally, the Browns with Winfrey was the story for them this week. And that was the week that was in Cleveland sports. My name is Andy Billman. Check me out at Official Cleveland Sports on Instagram and my new media venture, Believe in the Land on YouTube and the website coming soon. Have a great week. Go Cavs!